Welcome to Murder on Silk Road, the podcast where we tell you Asian and European true crime cases. I'm Julia, and with me is my friend and co-host, Lina. Hi, I'm Lina, and I didn't totally forget that we're supposed to the intro now, and we're not using That's the pre-recorded. <laughs> I was not ready well, for this. Well, it's but, fine. Um, <laughs> this is an in-between episode. Normally, we would tell you, so every two weeks... Yeah, this is an in-between. We don't have to do this intro. Yes, we do. It's, I mean, because in-betweens aren't really in-betweens anymore. Okay, but the fine. thing is, usually in an in-between, we would talk about something maybe relating to the case that um, we did the week before. But this week, um, because I left us on a, a bit of a confusing uh, note last time, this is part two of the disappearance of Emanuela Orlandi. Yes, thank you, Julia, for covering my ass. You're very welcome. <laughs> but before we get back into it, yeah. I know that we have some stuff to mm -hmm. take care of. Some things to address. I don't know if we have any regular listeners, <laughs> to be honest, but we did mention in a previous episode that, well, Julia said that there's sauerkraut juice in germany yeah and we said okay next episode julia tells us how sauerkraut juice tastes and we never got to that and forget about forgot about it so yeah. we remembered and today <laughs> she has i will it ready. do a live <laughs> I, I will do a live taste test yes. so yeah so i have it with me i'm just gonna shake it up and pour some into a glass for me i see and that we'll it's see. bio It is, because it's from my work. Ooh. So bio organic, right? Yes. Mm. Okay. Um, as I drink, what do you think? I mean, why do you think sauerkraut juice is even a thing? I think it tastes good. I like... Well, it's healthy, right? It's fermented cabbage. Cheers. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, is it sour? It is, and it does taste crowdy. <laughs> so it's basically like, I mean, if you've had sauerkraut, like when it, just that juice that drips off it, it's basically <laughs> that, but without the actual like tasty sauerkraut bit. Okay. So it's kind of, it's kind, it's it tastes like wrong, not because of the taste, but because I'm like waiting or like anticipating the actual sauerkraut that's not there mm -hmm. but yeah it definitely tastes healthy <laughs> <laughs> well it is and you can enjoy that throughout the remainder of this recording i think i'll pass really what are you gonna do with it but you will drink it right yeah but <laughs> oh, no. maybe when i can hold my nose closed or something it's not bad Oh, I really want It's to just not it for now. me. Okay. It's just not for me. How much did it cost? Um, not much. I think at most like a euro, like euro twenty cents. Okay, that's all right. I so guess. So like a a dollar maybe. Mm. Cool. Well, we have Julia's thoughts on sauerkraut saft or juice, and it's a. Yeah. Well, what would you rate it? What would I rate it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a 10 out of 10 on the health scale. It's like a 3 out of 10 <laughs> on a taste scale. Okay. 
and it's a zero out of ten would drink again. <laughs> not bad. Okay, next time I it's go to Germany, not I'll for try me. it as well. Um, Three yeah. out of ten on a cool. taste scale. I did want to tell you something. It's also something that happened and a while a back, and I keep forgetting zero about it. Zero out of ten would drink again. You know I live again. in Kyoto now. <laughs> you do? It's just um, not for me. So... Okay. Well, because the thing with <laughs> I was just walking around one day like, and walked probiotics, past like it's good temple. for the um, like good bacteria and in like your stomach. It and said in your basically like at the gates, which who um, works there or which you know kind of monk is like a head monk there. Um, so it's a natural. And it um, was Mickey Dion, the one from the first episode. The English yeah. word is for. Yes. yes thank you. It's, I was it's an actual walking, it was, it was really dark. It was at um, night, and, and Henry and I were just walking, like taking a walk C, or walking somewhere. And I was walking there, and a, I just glanced at it, and then thought I saw it, but I walked past B12, like, wait, wait, I and I think vitamin K. So I walked back, and it said there, yeah, this is, you know, the basically. I, I looked it up because at. I didn't or just want to be like, okay, let there. me try it. This is how it tastes. Yeah. Because um, I think some people might be like, why is it a yeah, thing? Yeah, and it's a temple Why where you can just go so in, weird, you know, but and it's like kind it's of very and all that. healthy. It's, it's sort very of healthy. a lot more private, and you have exactly. to, I think, make bookings for certain services or whatever. Okay. So I think he lives there as well. I'm not sure, but... Um, do you know what he looks like? I do. Maybe you can watch the faces of, like, the people, and if you ever see someone, like, dressed like a monk, you can just be like, is that him? <laughs> yes. Just, Maybe, I, I don't like, know, maybe you'll come him? across him Yeah, if you're in the same city. No, for sure. And it was just really cool because somehow there's a connection now between... Yeah. I mean, I'm not connected to him, but at least I walked past where the guy who knew Gen, who had an encounter with Gen from yeah. the first episode. That's almost like a first degree connection, but more like... I don't know. More like from afar. <laughs> More like second second degree Potentially. five times removed or something. Yeah, I don't know. But But I mean it's it's cool because if you had gone like if you'd lived in Kyoto and like moved or like walked past there mm -hmm. just a couple months ago, like you wouldn't have known no, no, the no. significance, right? Yeah, not so. at all. So yeah, that's just the cool thing I wanted to tell you about that. There was this connection. Damn. Okay. Throwback to cool. episode one. Serious throwback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we recorded wow. it such a long time ago. In April, I think. I think that was in April. Yeah. 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 And we still don't have things figured out. No. No. <laughs> but I think that's okay. Yeah. It, it's an I eternal struggle. I think we try. <laughs> yeah. The constant internal struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's all I wanted to tell you. Cool. Well, let's move it to a um, external struggle then. Okay. <laughs> what struggle? Well, the struggle for justice. Oh, okay. Yes. Let's move on to that. So we ended the last episode um, of like the first part of the Emanuela Orlandi case with where I gave you a bit of homework. Where yes. There are so many different parties that were sort of possibly involved and mm -hmm. like a couple of different like weird terms yeah. that we didn't know what they were. So I was thinking 
maybe we can just see what you came up with and um, we'll go from there. So I asked you to look up what the gray wolves were. Yes. And the Turkesh. Like in the story last week, the Turkesh, when was this brought up? The thing was that after Emanuela disappeared and this was made news, these phone calls came in and there's these multiple like parties that claimed mm-hmm. they were involved. So there was this Pierluigi and this Mario and this uh, L'Americano, mm-hmm. like the American. And so there was one, like one sort of um, path that, or one possibility that these phone calls were connected to the Grey Wolves because they kept mentioning um, Mehmet Ali Aja and getting him released. But then in another sort of um, press release, suddenly they also bore this signature of this other unknown group Um, known as the Anti-Christian Turkish Liberation Front, or Turkesh for short. And so basically both groups, the Grey Wolves and the Turkesh, Mm -hmm. were kind of saying like, oh, it had to do with Mehmet Ali Aja and blah, 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 but still kind of two separate groups that weren't connected. And it didn't make a lot of sense. I mean, so... (laughs) So what did you find? Well, basically, I found that before he, um, so his name is Mehmet Ali Aja, right? Yeah. Uh, so he is just an assassin and he claims to be kind of like a mercenary and not affiliated with any particular group. So he's claiming he's not affiliated with the Grey Wolves, but the Grey Wolves in like getting contact, like getting in contact with the press and the Vatican, in relation to Emanuela's disappearance, said that they are affiliated and they want his release. He did it under their order. So it was under the order of Grey Wolves. I'm not sure, though, okay. whether he is politically like, oh, I'm doing it because I believe in this ideology, or it's more like I'm getting paid to do it and I'm just an assassin, like a mercenary, right? right? I mean, what is important to know is that, I guess, the Grey Wolves, they're um, a group that's been actually called a terrorist group in multiple countries. And um, I think they were, they're anti-Christian, they're racist, they want this, like, um, they're very um, Turkish nationalist. Yeah. And they want, like, a Turkey or a Turkish region with only true Turks, mm-hmm. whatever that is. And they took, I think, inspiration from Hitler's Mein Kampf. So that's cool. Yeah, that's already a huge red flag. Yeah, I think they they actually translated it into Turkish. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember, but... Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's from what I gather, it's basically a far-right organization neo-fascist and they basically like you said they want you know a pure turkey because there are a lot of minorities within turkey yeah and they kind of just want it to be pure in that sense and they are definitely you know a terrorist group because they've been responsible for massacres bombings and all that which is 
you know, not a t typical peaceful political group. So, yeah, so very much um, going into the national socialists, um, Nazi party mm -hmm. sort of path. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so not not great. Not, not great, great. No. Right. So much for that. So they have a cool name, but that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's forget about them because they're actually not really important anymore. Okay. So Emanuela Olandi, right? Just to recap, mm -hmm. um, she went missing on the 22nd of June, 1983. Shortly thereafter, um, phone calls started coming into the Orlandi family home claiming like like I said different parties claiming they like different stories and that they'd seen her that they had her and that they had her for differing reasons and a lot of these theories actually brought Emanuela's case um, into connection with the case of Mirella Gregori so the thing is that Mirella she actually disappeared very shortly before Emanuela mm -hmm. under very sort of similar circumstances. So she disappeared on May 7th, 1983, which I think I remember seeing was 40 days before Emanuela disappeared. Mm -hmm. And she got home on that day from school and her, her apartment, her family's apartment was above a bar Okay. And the daughter of the bar managers was her best friend. Right. And her name was Sonia DeVito. Mm -hmm. And so she got back from school and then spent some time at the bar with her like best friend and then was home at around 2 p.m. And then apparently she talked to someone over the intercom. And then she said to her mother, oh, that was my friend. I'm going to meet him real quick but I'll be back in 10 minutes. And this was mm. kind of supported by the fact that she didn't take a bag. Yeah. Basically, she never came back home after leaving, saying mm. she'd be back shortly. So there is, what's confirmed is that she left the house and she went down to the bar and she locked herself in the bathroom with her friend Sonia for about 15 minutes and then left the bar. And then there's no trace of her ever since was how old so that was the last time she was seen she was i think also 16 okay. either way like similar age to emanuela mm. so she went down because her friend was on the intercom so she, i'm just gonna go friend through. as in she said it was her friend but okay um, but she said i'm just gonna name, right yeah she did okay but yes. so she actually did have a former classmate named Alessandro, mm -hmm. but he had an alibi. Okay. So the theory was that she said it was her former classmate Alessandro, but mm -hmm. she actually lied about who it was. So she'd have an excuse to leave. Right. Okay. Because if she'd said the truth, like she thinks that maybe she wouldn't have been able, like allowed to leave the house. Mm -hmm. Maybe. So her family filed a missing report, uh, filed a missing persons report that very same day at around 10 p.m. because she never made it home. Mm. And in August of 1983, she or her disappearance was linked to Emanuela's case, 
through that the the contact with the Turkish and the American claim like the, that both claimed that they had both girls. Yeah. But there is no proof of that mm-hmm. at that point. But then on September 24th, the American in a phone call described the clothes that Mirela was wearing the day she disappeared. Mm-hmm. And this was deemed accurate information. So that gave that claim a bit more seriousness. So this information was not public knowledge, as far as we know. Yeah. Okay. So that was September. And in October, the American reported Mirella was dead and that they would return her body by Christmas. But nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. And there was no actual proof that either party ever had either of the girls. Except for the knowledge and that they had about them. Yeah, but nothing further ever came of that, I think, is the thing. It's very weird because a lot of different parties have very specific, correct bits of information, but then everything Mm -hmm. else sort of doesn't make sense, which I think we'll see a bit more going forward. But same as Emanuela's case um, in December 1997, So over 10 years since the disappearances of both girls, the investigation was closed and the connection to Emanuela's case was dismissed. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what theories do we have then, apart from it just being the Turkish or the Grey Wolves or something like that? Well, there's a lot and I actually don't know if we'll get through all of them because I don't want this to be like a three-hour episode (laughs) yeah um but before that there's one last thing that I wanted to tell you about from last time okay and I don't know if you remember this but uh so Mehmet Ali Aja he is free at this point right yes and he um kept with the story like throughout all the years that the kidnapping was on behalf of the Vatican and that she was um, still alive and um, no harm had been done to her. But what he said last time that really we both found very interesting was Mm -hmm. that he said, without understanding the third secret, you will never understand the mystery of the Orlandi case. And this was he meant the third secret of Fatima. Yes. What's that? Yes. (laughs) So the three secrets of Fatima was a series of apocalyptic visions and prophecies that was shown to three shepherds over Uh a period of six months in 1917. Right. And so these shepherds, they were all kids. Wait. I have to say. Okay, so little kids who were, you know... I guess it was 1917. Yeah. Okay. And they were just walking around with the sheep or cattle or something. Basically, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I I can see that. I mean, I feel like... (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Let's let's just... (laughs) What did they see? So the first secret um, or the first vision or prophecy was a vision of hell. That's pretty much like the shortest summary I can give you. I could like read you the secret, but it's very long-winded. And so mm-hmm. I'll just... The d- second, um, the vision they were shown basically boils down to 
devote yourself to the immaculate heart of Mary or prepare for war. Okay. <laughs> so um, I, I think I can maybe read you some of it. Mm -hmm. You have seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go. To save them, God wishes to establish in the, uh, in the world devotion to my immaculate heart. If what I say to you is done, many souls will be saved and there will be peace. The war is going to end, but if people do not cease offending God, a worse one will break out during the pontificate of Pius Eleventh. When you see a knight illuminated by an unknown light, knowing that this is the great sign given you by God that he is about to punish the world for its crimes by means of war, famine, and persecutions of the church and of the Holy Father, to prevent this, I shall come to ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparations on the first Saturdays. If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world, causing war and persecutions of the Church. The good will be martyred, the Holy Father will have much to suffer, various nations will be annihilated. In the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. The Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me and she shall be converted and a period of peace will be granted to the world. Wait, so is this the Mother Mary speaking? Yep. And she wants Russia. She wants Russia um, consecrated. What does that mean the though? Faith. This was made during World War One, and so a bunch of people think that it was basically communism kind of becoming a thing in russia or the soviet right. union and basically communism is in a way sort of an atheist um, belief and so it's basically oh russia is turning atheist like is turning away from okay. um, the holy father so consecrate it bring it back into the fold right or right. like russia will sort of wreak havoc among the world Okay, but she did say either way, it belongs to my immaculate heart. <laughs> well, either I, I it's like maybe it's just either a it's a thing, but just so basically good. either it's a short way, it, like it's a short path of just like okay, we consecrate Russia right now, bring it back into the fold, and a lot of suffering will be avoided, or you don't do it now, there will be a lot of pain and suffering and mm. war, but in the end, it will be consecrated anyway. So we can do and the then, easy way or the hard way, basically. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> so that was the second vision. Yes. My question is... The thing is that the third secret was actually kept just that secret for mm -hmm. a very long time. So the third vision um, that was revealed in 2000, uh, it showed the persecution of Christians and specifically a bishop. Mm -hmm. So let me just read it to you at the left of our lady and a little above we saw an angel with a flaming sword in his left hand flashing it gave out flames that looked as though they would set the world on fire but they died out in contact with the splendor that our lady radiated towards him from her right hand pointing to the earth with his right hand the angel cried out in a loud voice penance 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 and we saw in an, in an immense light that is God, something similar to how people appear in a mirror when they pass in front of it, a bishop dressed in white. We had the impression that it was the Holy Father. Other bishops, priests, men and women, religious, going up a steep mountain, at the top of which there was a cross of rough-hewn trunks as of a cork tree with the bark. Um, 
trembling with halting step no before reaching there the holy father passed through a big city half in ruins and half trembling with halting step afflicted with pain and sorrow he prayed for the souls of the corpses he met on his way having reached the top of the mountain on his knees at the foot of the big cross he was killed by a group of soldiers who fired bullets and arrows at him and in the same way there died one after another the other bishops priests men and women religious and various lay people of different ranks and positions beneath the two arms of the cross there were two angels each with a crystal aspersorium in his hand in which they gathered up the blood of the martyrs and with it sprinkled the souls that were making their way to god okay <laughs> wait um so a bunch of religious people were walking up a hill and they got murdered one by one yeah so people interpret it kind of as the persecution of christians mm -hmm. and specifically like the pope yeah they think like the pope i think implied that the secret was about the 20th century persecution of christians mm -hmm. that sort of culminated in the failed assassination of pope john paul ii okay um because it was the 64th anniversary of the first apparition of the lady at fatima right but some people say oh it's not like the prophecy is not completed yet like it didn't actually happen yet and um so like i said Mehmet ali aja stated that the kidnapping had to do with this third seeker in what way that may be whatever and actually what's what i found very interesting that as a result of the 2022 russian invasion of the ukraine mm -hmm. pope francis announced that he would consecrate russia and ukraine to the immaculate heart of mary and he did so on march 25th of 2022 wait so finally russia is consecrated so let's see what happens i guess well, i don't what does that mean the pope consecrated russia and ukraine to the immaculate mary what does that mean consecrate the that's a good pope... question right i'm so confused <laughs> he just goes and says okay i consecrate russia ukraine to mother mary so basically to consecrate something is um to make or declare something typically a church sacred or um dedicate it formally to a religious purpose okay i mean i'm sure it makes sense somehow but i just don't really see it or don't get it like why did he consecrate russia and ukraine i think the thought there was oh of course um russia is still sort of wreaking havoc with war and everything and causing suffering because russia is not consecrated yet as um, as per the second secret so maybe right. if i do this oh then okay the second half of like oh if you consecrate it um all will be well basically maybe he thought like okay it's consecrated it's worth trying basically. yeah yeah okay but i don't know how you can actually consecrate something like entire countries and doesn't really make sense to me but whatever okay so that's the third secret not... then or the yeah. three secrets are basically visions of christianity being under threat like the world 
the world. And um, Mehmed Ali Aja basically referenced the third secret as one of mm-hmm. the, you have to understand that in order to understand yeah. the disappearance of the girls. Yeah, so I guess he interpreted it as not having been fulfilled yet, but as, everybody has a different opinion regarding the third secret. Okay. It's very disputed. And there's actually even the controversy like, oh, did the Vatican release the entire secret or did they keep right. some of it back? Yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. At this point, you know, with all this information about the Grey Wolves, the, the Fatima secrets, it doesn't really... It's all very kind of up in the air and, I don't know, yeah. fantastical and sounds like, you know, like we just said, Da Vinci Code or sounds like yeah. something, you know, a part of a game. Assassin's Creed, there's, you know, the Pope. Because I was reading the um, the reason why they tried to assassinate the Pope is because they saw him as something about the Crusades or something. And that's very Assassin's Creed, by the way, <laughs> with like the Templars yeah. and, the, and yeah. the Assassins. But anyway, I'm getting off topic, but it sounds very basically just all made up somehow and i'm just wondering for the disappearance of the girls if we just go to the core of it like the truth isn't it maybe just something simpler and nothing related to all this kind of religious i guess visions or prophecies or it's just there's something going on perhaps within the church where (laughs) You know, because they're not very, <laughs> they don't have a very clean record. There's a lot going right. on underground. Well, and maybe they're just part of this criminal organize. I mean, not, you know, I'm not saying the Pope is part of the criminal organization, but the girls were victim to some kind of organized criminal thing. Well, let's, don't, don't jump ahead. I'm just saying we're like spending a lot of time on this. Um, I know, but it was just very interesting, stuff. and yeah, it you have a point, and we'll get there. Okay, but this was just a very interesting thing that I mean it that we that we were fascinated by last time, yeah, just because true. of the the mysterious name, and so yes. I did want to mention that, and then I kind of got into it, and I was like, I've never heard of this. This is super interesting. What the heck? Yeah, no, it's definitely very interesting. I was just worried we weren't going to get into the criminal stuff. Because we are. Oh no, we're go- I'm in, just gonna. So just I'm just. I'm just worried. gonna end it right here. Okay. <laughs> okay. No. So let's actually continue with the theories. Yes. Into I want to talk Emmanuel about Mario and Luigi. Well, we won't really talk about you know, them. I'm, I'm just sorry. We're I'm... not gonna <laughs> really talk about two Italian plumbers. Okay. But we will be talking about a. Italian criminal organization, mm-hmm. aka a mafia group. Yes. Called the Banda della Maliana. Magliana? Okay. Maliana. So. Do you know what that means? Basically, it's. Um, so the group sort of built or um, started in this neighbor. Na- like, it was basically the neighborhood where a lot of the members, like, created this group um like something to do with maliana so banda is basically like like you know banda in german yeah. so like gang or something mm-hmm. so it's basically the gang from this specific place so it's okay not not super interesting okay 
So, where do they come in? So, in 2005, on July 11th, an anonymous phone call came into the office of a TV program, and the person on the phone basically said that to see or to solve the case, people need to go see who is buried in the crypt of the Basilica of Santa Polinare and check into the favor the Pedis did for Cardinal Poletti. So in the crypt, when they did actually look into it, they found the corpse of Enrico de Peris, who was one of the leaders of the Banda della Magliana. Okay. And so it's like, okay, so they mentioned de Peris, but they also mentioned this Cardinal Poletti. So what does, like, is he actually connected to this? Wait, so can you just re-say the second thing you said? The person called and said, check the crypt here. And what's the second and bit? The f- and the favor the Pedis did for Cardinal Poletti. I don't know what the hell that means. <laughs> the favor? So basically saying that um, the Pedis did something for a cardinal and okay. in exchange like got buried in the crypt oh, of this basilica. Okay, okay, okay. I got it. So basically the mafia leader or boss. One of them. One of them. Did the cardinal a favor, and as a reward, he got buried in this holy crypt. Possibly, yes. Okay. So, actual official documents say that this burial was requested by the rector of the basilica, and this was done with the authorization of this cardinal Poletti. So that actually kind of checks out that the cardinal that they say that asked for a favor from this mafia leader actually like allowed him to be buried there Mm -hmm. and what was also very interesting is that after this the call also mentioned talking to the bartender in via montebello Mm -hmm. and this is where mirella gregori's parents bar is Mm. so it made a connection between these two cases like once again because this was in 2005 this was basically the second investigation so the police they opened up the crypt yes and were they surprised to find the mafia leader in there? So he, was it not like yeah. marked? Okay, so interesting. Because like, why would you bury a mafia leader in the crypt of a basilica? Is it, is it which like, is like a church. Is it usually, you know, just really, I guess, the monks, the nuns, the, the holy people who work there, who get buried there? Yeah. Okay. Or like people of like kings queens princesses that kind of thing no because i i I don't know i just thought maybe you know you can buy tombs or tomb spaces so maybe someone who pays for it can get it but who knows um all right so but it seems like it wouldn't be a regular thing right right yeah i mean that makes sense especially if it's not marked that this person is in there and they were kind of secretly buried there yeah okay we're getting somewhere (laughs) so in 2006 a journalist interviews a woman named Sabrina Minadi Mm -hmm. who had an affair with De Pedis between 1982 and 1984 so she claimed that De Pedis was actually responsible for the kidnapping and that she kind of played a role in the kidnapping Mm -hmm. so she, she said a lot so she said that Emanuela would have been transferred several times in the days immediately following the kidnapping and that at one point she would have been transferred back to Rome 
to a house owned by a woman named Daniela Mobili, Daniela Mobili, which had an immense basement. And so the, she was the girlfriend of the mafia leader? Yeah. Okay. Or basically had an affair with him. I think okay. she was actually married. Right. The existence of this basement was actually proven, like it was proven to exist by investigators in 2008, but they mm -hmm. found no trace, DNA, anything of Emanuela. Mm -hmm. And this Daniela Mobili, she denied knowing Sabrina Minardi, and she denied having played a role since she was in prison during the time of the kidnapping. Mm. But um, Minardi, however, always said that Emanuela would have been in the care of a housekeeper named Teresina, and someone by this name actually worked in the apartment as a housekeeper during that time. Okay. She also claimed to have been instructed by the Peris to pick Manuela up at a bar and drive her to a gas station not far from the Vatican. Mm -hmm. Driving the girl to the gas station, she claimed that Emanuela seemed totally confused and like she was drugged. Mm. And at this gas station, there was a car with Vatican plates, uh, Vatican City like license plates waiting to take Emanuela. And she stated that he, in quotes, looked like a priest. Mm. In 2008, investigators found the car Minardi said she drove Emanuela in. It belonged to an entrepreneur who was a member of the Banda de la Magliana. The car had been abandoned where they found it, like in 1995, and had been there ever since. Mm -hmm. But. So this all sounds very interesting, right? Like, it seems yeah. like, okay, there could be something to this. But during the investigations, um, Sabrina Minardi's credibility was actually repeatedly called into question because she repeatedly made contradictory and confusing statements with almost a total lack of evidence. Mm -hmm. Especially after um, the minutes of her statements were released to the public, she like made a bunch of changes like temporarily to the sequence of events and like to the nature of Emanuela's death. So she, mm -hmm. one, one story was that Emanuela was killed and put in a sack and then thrown into a cement mixer. And one was that she was actually thrown into the sea. Mm. And then she also claimed at one point that when they found Emanuela, they would also find the body of an 11 year old boy who was a son of a member of the gang who had been killed in retaliation. But the boy was actually killed 10 years after Emanuela was kidnapped. So that doesn't really make sense. And okay. what also really spoke against her was that Sabrina actually admitted to drug abuse during the like this period. Mm. So it like they declared her an unreliable witness. And they actually said, like the spokesperson from the Vatican actually said that she displayed a quote, lack of humanity and respect for the Orlandi family, unquote. Okay. I mean, it does feel like a convenient way to discredit someone who might finally be coming forward with some information. Yeah, but at the same time, like, that's a couple of very big contradictions. I have to agree with that. Also, lack of evidence, also obviously not a point in her favor. Yeah. I just feel like if this was really some kind of huge cover-up thing, only someone who might not be in their right mind might come forward with something. 
if that makes sense. Mm. Because everyone else would be so scared. Everyone who's in their right mind would see, okay, I don't get anything out of saying something. Like, I'm just going to put a target on my back, so I'm going to keep quiet. But she was maybe this kind of unstable factor, a person who wasn't in the right minds, perhaps. Maybe. And that caused her to just say stuff. But, like, what does she get out of it? Fame, like notoriety, who knows? Hmm. So much for Sabrina Minardi and her stories and the connection to De Pedis. Um, What was his name? Enrico De Pedis. Mm. Okay, so there was actually investigations into other members of the Banda de la Maliana. Mm -hmm. And one of these investigations was into a man called Marco Sanataro. Okay. Mm. In 2008, the prosecutor's office showed some of Emanuela's friends photographs of some members of the gang. Mm-hmm. And apparently her friends had reported as early as in 1983, so when Emanuela disappeared, that while they'd been in like with Emanuela, they had the impression that they were being followed by some older boys and that these boys were kind of specifically focusing in on Emanuela. Mm-hmm. And having been shown these pictures, her friends recognized three of them, and among these three was a this Marco Sanataro. Mm-hmm. But since he had been dead for a couple of years, they summoned Marco's father. Mm-hmm. And Marco's father, I think his name was Salvatore, Salvatore San, Sanataro. Um, while they'd both been in prison at one point, Marco had confessed to his father that he had taken part in the kidnapping on direct orders of Enrico de Pedis. Um, I mean, there's a lot of fingers pointing at this guy, and it's not just Sabrina. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's the details, maybe. But um, Salvatore also said that Marco would have picked up Emanuela in Piazza Risorgimento, which was a contradiction because she disappeared in Corso Rinascimento. Mm-hmm. So that, along with a couple of other factors, they declared him an unreliable witness. Wait, how far away are these places? Like, there's the Vatican with the walls around it, right? And just yeah. outside the walls on the upper right is yeah. this plaza. Okay. And this Corso Rinascimento, where she went missing, was in Rome, like on the other side of the Tiber River, right. close to her school. Okay. So it's not so, like a close... No, but both would kind of, like, could make sense. Mm -hmm. Because if she did at some point sort of make her way home, it's possible that the bus route would have gone there. Mm. But, I mean, her her friend saw her still, like, across the river. So, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but it doesn't, like, with the facts that the investigators have, it doesn't really... Mm. Yeah, this is a tricky one, but I I don't know. Well, this I is mean, only one avenue. Okay, what other avenues just, do you have? <laughs> well, just finishing out on the avenue of the Banna della Maliana, mm-hmm. you might ask yourself, why? Why would this gang basically be involved in this kidnapping? 
Yeah, I mean, I was gonna assume some kind of sex trafficking thing or... No, we'll get to that. Okay. (laughs) But actually, in the case of this gang, um, it's believed that the kidnapping was to blackmail the Vatican and demand to, like, demand money that they had loaned to the IOR, which is the Institute for Religious Works. And this institute is actually also often called, like, the Vatican Bank. Right. And so it's assumed that they um, borrowed this money from this gang to counteract control of the Soviet Union in Poland, which was the home of the then Pope. Okay. This was confirmed by several people, but it was never supported by any evidence, and it contradicted Mm -hmm. some of Minardi's, like, Sabrina Minardi's statement. Mm. So it's like, what what do we believe, basically? Mm -hmm. But so much for that avenue. And now we go into another, and you said it very accurately just now. I have it here as pedophilia, question mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in an interview in 2012 on May 22nd the well-known exorcist which I, I really want to look into him because what? <laughs> so the well-known exorcist father Gabriele Amor declared Emanuela would have been lured and killed during sex parties which included members of the clergy mm-hmm. it the same or a similar hypothesis was also made by a former affiliate of the Cosa Nostra in 2014. And the Cosa Nostra is also like mafia, but it's, I think it's Sicily based. Okay. If I remember correct. But I'm not an expert in mm. um, Italian criminal organizations, even if I would like to be. It sounds very interesting. <laughs> And this affiliate stated that uh, stated that Emanuela would have died during a sex and drug field party, and buried in the Vatican with other young victims of similar parties. Mm-hmm. I think we've all kind of heard about these accusations of pedophilia in like the church and the Vatican, mm-hmm. and these accusations actually resurfaced in 2016. Yeah. with a publication of a book by a journalist. Mm-hmm. And this book actually included a statement of one of Emanuela's friends mm-hmm. who said that a few months before her disappearance, Emanuela confided in her that she was, quote, heavily annoyed, end quote, by a person, quote, mm-hmm. close to the Pope, end mm-hmm. quote, while she was in the Vatican Gardens. Okay. But that's as far as this avenue goes but i mean it's something that most people have probably kind of heard of like this conspiracy oh pedophilia or it's not actually a conspiracy it's proven but like pedophilia um in in the church and specifically in the vatican yeah i mean i think they just got another spanish one um priest or something who who raped hundreds of kids jesus and that's the thing, right? Like, they know that this is sort of rampant within their system, but mm-hmm. it doesn't get taken seriously. These priests, if they're found out, they just get transferred to some other place. So to me, that suggests that this is a thing that 
you know, does go maybe not maybe not all the way all to the, the way top, to the maybe top. not to the Pope, but at least you know, the people who hold power within the system are protecting each other. It feels like allegedly. Mm-hmm. Just want to say, but um, but yeah, I mean, I can totally see that this was a thing. It feels like the simplest solution. Right. That's true. Well, it's not the only possible solution, though, as okay. I mean, you've, we've already started getting into. Because yeah. here is yet another possible avenue. Okay. And his name is Marco Accetti. Mm-hmm. So Marco Accetti is a foot or is or was a photographer. And in 2013, he claimed that he was one of Emanuela's kidnappers. Mm-hmm. And Accetti had actually already been convicted of having run over and killed a 12-year-old in the December of 1983. Mm-hmm. So not complete innocent, just... But was it an like, accident or did he run over a child on purpose? Un- unclear to me from what I read. Okay. I didn't look further into it. So was he like in for murder or was it... Kind of vehicular vehicular manslaughter. I mean, do you get put in jail for vehicular manslaughter in Italy? I think... Who knows? I don't know, but if you're, like, super... Like, maybe if you're drunk or something. We're gonna just go with it being one of those things, but he had been convicted of something. Yes. So, as proof that he was involved in the kidnapping, he led or gave instructions to a journalist that led this journalist to a warehouse mm-hmm. where they found a flute, which Achetti said was Emanuela's. Okay. But? But there were no traces of Emanuela's DNA, but the Orlandi family thought that it could very well have been hers. Right. But, yeah. I mean, we, we've had... Did he elaborate? Well, a little bit. What did so he say he happened claimed then? Yeah. So he claimed to be the Mario okay. that had called, and he claimed to be the American, right. both, and claimed that the kidnapping was part of a conspiracy within the Vatican between two opposing parties to influence the anti-communist policy of John Paul II, which I think you'd probably need to go more into like internal politics in like the church, the Catholic church, and it's just... I don't know. It it was a lot of like, okay, interesting. Doesn't mean much to me, but I mean, seems I also reasonable. wonder why these people keep kidnapping these. Well, claim to kidnap Emanuela to influence political stuff. Yeah, I mean, her father worked in Vatican City, but it's not like she's closely connected to the Pope. Yeah, like it's not. It like- seems. And they never came Dumb. to the Pope saying, hey, if you don't do this, we're gonna... I mean, and Mario... Other than releasing Turkish, Mehmet Ali Aja. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that never went anywhere. Yeah, no. It seems unrelated in I feel any like, way. I mean, isn't it possible that she was kidnapped? I, I still feel like, to me, the most likely scenario was some kind of sex thing. Mm-hmm trafficking and just yeah pedophilia ring doing something there and then other parties kind of used this because they knew that 
you know, she, the Vatican or people who work there who might have been involved with her kidnapping cannot come out and say, oh, no, you didn't kidnap her because we have her in our dungeon or something. So they came and said, said things like, oh, we can use this kidnapping or disappearance of this girl to get what we want by saying we have her, pretending like we have mm -hmm. her. And because they didn't have her, it didn't actually lead anywhere. So it just kind of evaporated into nothingness. Right. And then no one really pursued it any further because the people who were in power in that situation, in that scenario, or in the clergy, uh, whatever system, were the ones who were actually responsible. So they didn't really pursue it any further. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at all of these, other than those directly involving um, people of the church, it seems like they keep making these statements, but there's no real explanation as to why. Mm. And the explanations that they do give don't really make sense because, like you said, like it doesn't make sense to kidnap these random girls to quote like get something from the church if they're not at all connected yeah and you know i with the involvement with the mafia person like it could be involved it could be a red herring but if he is involved somehow i can see how if there is some kind of weird ring sex pedophilia ring going on then they could you know need the mafia's help with certain exactly. things so that's yeah. where the connection could be. Yeah, I mean, that part makes sense. That one with the other organizations, like, doesn't make sense. But yeah, um, I mean, I did mention sort of a connection between this Enrico de Pedis, this mafia yeah. leader, to a cardinal. So there yeah. is that sort of connection to the church. Yes. That and that is fact. That's finally something that's not someone said something. He was literally buried in the crypt. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it's unclear. But let me tell you more about this photographer. Okay. This alleged Mario. This alleged Mario and this alleged American. Yes. He said that the kidnapping wasn't supposed to be a kidnapping, but a temporary removal that actually happened with the agreement from both girls. But Achetti hypothesized that there were complications in the operation he wasn't aware of that caused them to not have been returned. But like pretty much all the other people that made statements, his credibility repeatedly was called into question as he might have suffered from narcissistic personality disorder and wanted to insert himself into the narrative for fame and visibility. Hmm. But you have to say, points in his favor, assuming that it was Emanuela's, the flute, mm -hmm. and truth of statements that he made in relation to other cases, and his voice was confirmed to be the one of the American. Really? I was going to ask you yeah. whether they kind of, you know, check the voices, because they have recordings, right? To see if it matches. Yeah. That's interesting. But Wait, I mean, so, I wonder how much you can, like, how much weight you can put behind something like that. Because some people sound very similar over the phone. 
Yeah, that's true. But it's this weird accent he was faking, right? Yeah. So I don't think anyone can just pull that off. That's true. But what I find the most interesting and also kind of really disturbing is that he declared that the tomb of a girl that was killed in 1984 Mm -hmm. would be empty if they looked into it and that they would only find a handle. And they actually opened the tomb in 2022 and Mm -hmm. they did indeed only find a handle. What is a handle? Like a door handle. Wait, seriously? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So wait, let's just backtrack for a bit. (laughs) This photographer... Yeah. It's so random that he's a photographer involved in this weird kidnapping. But um Yeah, it's and knows about weird. these empty tombs, but photographer, <laughs> all right. This photographer why did he say why he was involved in the kidnapping? No. Did he say if he belonged to any mafia? No, he just said that he was one of the kidnappers and that I mean, there have to be other, had to be others involved because he hypothesized that there were some sort of complications, which meant that the girls didn't like get returned to their families. And did he possibly say because he was in jail? Maybe he was the one making phone calls about releasing Mehmet Ali Aja. Yeah. So no, wait, Mario. What did Mario say? But wasn't he Mario um, and the American? Yeah. So Mario, um, actually, he claimed that he had seen a man and two girls selling cosmetics. Right, right, right. And he was asked about the girl's height and hesitated. And at that point, it was where, like, mm. they heard another person in the background. Then there, Mario was actually also one of the ones that said that this Barbara, what she called herself, had voluntarily left home. Mm-hmm. but that was like disproven so that was mario and then i mean the american was yeah claiming to be holding emanuela hostage and said that he had a connection to other like this Luigi and the mario that called yeah he did mention mehmet ali aja asking for intervention from pope John Paul II. So, I know maybe he was like a sympathizer with the um, Grey Wolves. Yeah, that is all very confusing. Because, I mean, so far, if he's the one with the most, I suppose, with the flute, then the voice matches the American. And with that empty crypt that he later said, this Mm -hmm. one will be empty. So, he's definitely involved in some kind of criminal activities. Seems so, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, if it was like an organizational or like a whole operation, then it makes sense that he wasn't involved throughout the whole step, so he might not know exactly what happened, just know that something went wrong. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, the Mario calls were just to say, oh, don't worry, the girls are, you know, they they're kind of runaways in a sense like they voluntarily went somewhere so people you know let their guards down maybe a bit or think it's not a kidnapping but like a they yeah they just went off on their own accords Mm -hmm. to buy time maybe but 
then he wanted the gray wolf stuff. So, yeah, it's just all very, very confusing. It is. And we're not even at the end. Wait, we're not. Of, <laughs> okay. of all the theories. Okay. So we, we can close off the chapter of Makuachetti. So the next avenue to explore is what is known as the Vati Leaks. The Vati So like WikiLeaks, but like Vatican. Okay, I'm interested in this one. <laughs> so in 2012, there was this leak of confidential Vatican documents mm -hmm. and was later referred to as the Vata Leaks scandal. Mm-hmm. So these documents had been stolen by the butler of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, and last name Gabriele, I think was his. Yeah, Gabriele the butler had told okay. Pietro Orlandi, um, so Emanuela's brother, that he had seen a dossier titled Emanuela Orlandi Report uh -huh. on the desk of the secretary of the Pope, but had yeah. been unable to make a copy of it. Pietro reported in 2011 that the same secretary of the Pope, this Father Georg actually, had spoken to him and um, said that he intended to investigate Emanuela's um, disappearance. So Pietro, having gotten the story like, oh, there's this like Emanuela Orlandi report, he hypothesized that the report had the, like included the results of the investigation. Mm -hmm. And this was confirmed by Father Georg to the Orlandi family lawyer mm -hmm. in like, I think in 2012, but in a book published in 2023, Father Georg now denied the existence of this dossier. Hmm. So that's super hmm. recent. It would make sense that they had a report considering it's missing person from the Vatican City. Well, which the is thing tiny. was that um, until that point, none of the investigations were like from the Vatican City. That only happened when they reopened the investigation this year. But mm -hmm. the other investigations before that, they weren't like investigations from like the Vatican. Yeah, I but think I still that feel was the like point. They would have had their own little investigation going on. Yeah, but nothing official is the thing. Yeah, okay. I mean, like, if I were the Pope and I, and this girl working, uh, this daughter of someone who works in the Vatican City goes missing, I'd be like, guys, let's look into it. Yeah, right? because it's not like there's a lot of subjects. And, yeah, I mean, it's a very small place. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. That was the one thing. Then there was also something called the um, summary report. So in 2017, a journalist came into a possession of a document that was dated the 28th of March, 1998, mm -hmm. um, that sent for information um, by the head of the body that administers the assets of the Holy See. So um, a Cardinal Antonetti to the archbishops Giovanni Battista Re uh, and Jean-Louis Toran. And this document was entitled Summary Report of the Expenses Incurred by the Vatican City State 
for activities relating to the citizen Emanuela Orlandi. Huh. So the document which would prove that the girl was alive and that she would have been reported, uh, that she would have been supported for several years in London at the expense of the Vatican what? would have been, yeah, would have been stolen on the night between the 29th and the 30th of March 2014 from the safe in an armored cabinet of the Prefecture of Economic Affairs, which was under the responsibility of Secretary Monsignor Lucio um, Balda, who was arrested in 2015 as part of the so-called Vataleaks 2. So that sounds like a bad sequel to a movie. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. The guy who was arrested, is it yeah. because he did the Vataleaks or because of things that were leaked in the Vataleaks? Um, I'm going to guess the second. Okay, so he did some shady stuff that people found out in Vataleaks 2. Yeah. This summary report was also from Vataleaks 2? No, I don't think it was. Okay, um, but just a, a journalist just came into possession of a document that was like stolen in. Okay, so I guess someone did leak it then, in a sense, because if yeah. he came into possession of it, I'm assuming someone anonymously basically sent it to the journalist. It just feels like so many clues in this case could be fabricated by someone just to, like, lead it into a different direction. Mm, yeah. And I feel like if they, first of all, why were they supporting her education in London and not tell the parents? Like, well, what's the point of that? And <laughs> I feel like if they were to have a report, because they were doing this for some reason, they wouldn't use her actual name. There has to be a code name for it. Or am I just well, watching too yeah. many movies? I mean, yeah, it seems weird. So this report in this journalist possession mm -hmm. um, is a type document that lists the expenses that would have been incurred between January 1983 and July 1997 okay. by the Vatican City to manage the Orlandi affair for a total sum of 483 million la uh, lire. Liar? Mm -hmm. Lyre? I don't know. And I did a quick conversion and today that would be around 226,008 euros. Mm -hmm. So is so, that enough to study in London? Because it's not cheap. Well. I mean, from that, wait, did you calculate an in inflation? No. So this was like what it would be today. Okay. So I don't know what it would be in like the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I mean, I know when I went to uni, I guess... Well, it would depend if she get if she got the international students rate or the the well, EU Well, it also rate, depends on what she really did there. That's true. Because you're you're assuming that like she got education, but who knows what yeah. she did? I mean, that's get. what the report said, right? But it could um, be <laughs> for something else. No, it just said. Expenses incurred for activities relating oh. to the citizen Emanuela Orlandi. Oh, so maybe it could also just be investigations, right? Well, or money paid no. to people to keep them quiet. Not really, because among the expenses listed in the report, there yeah. are room and board fees at a student oh. hostel um, oh. in London, 
and the girls travel and medical expenses such as um hospitalization and like gynecological visits god damn it (laughs) and the last note in the list which was dated july 1997 bears the writing general activity and transfer to the vatican city with related final paperwork suggesting that a possible death and uh the transfer of the body to the vatican what I think it's fake. So the authenticity of this document has been questioned several times, especially due to the fact that it lacks official stamps and Mm -hmm. uh, had several writing errors for a formal document. Okay. So for one, um, the headings to the archbishops were written as his revered excellency, but in formal documents, they should have been referred to as most reverend excellency, which... I think that's okay. so fascinating, though. This kind of small detail that if you yeah. weren't working in that place, you wouldn't know. Yeah. Then okay. the document also made a reference to citizen Emanuela Orlandi. But in reality, the inhabitants of the Vatican City are formally called subjects, as oh, the Vatican wow. City is an absolute monarchy governed by the pontiff. That's so interesting. Yeah. And another element that generated a lot of suspicion is that the document was stolen with relative ease, even though Mm -hmm. it was like a, quote, top secret document. Yeah. The Orlani family and many observers, including the journalist that like got his hands on this document, believe that it may have been manipulated or false, but was in fact based on real events or real elements. And that it may have been deliberately stolen as a warning of some kind. Okay. I mean, to be honest, at this point, I just feel so bad for the family because they don't... I don't even know if they can have their own theories now because once they believe in one thing, kind of, then suddenly something else pops up and then they're just being pulled in so many different directions and people want to get fame out of it somehow or i don't know it's just insane yeah i mean and the thing is there's no body so you have no idea anything could anything anything. could be real or fake exactly and everything that seemed like a cool like someone had some sort of like the flute that was found that could have been hers or you know some information that of what she was wearing or something like that Mm. You really have hope in so many things, but then it's just all doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. What's interesting is that um, there is actually other indications that for whatever reason, Emanuela was sent to England Mm -hmm. Um, because already. So this was in 2017, right? This document. Um, already in 2011, there was a an anonymous phone call from a man who said that he was a former like agent of this like I think information sort of agency, codenamed Lupo, and he stated that Emanuela is alive. She's in a mental hospital in England and has always been sedated, and that the cause of the kidnapping was the knowledge on part of. Alcole Orlandi, so Emanuela's father, of the money laundering activities um, 
and the involvement of the Vatican Bank. This agent, quote-unquote, was later identified as being Luigi Castrini, who had never been an agent and made the whole thing up. So he was Mm. later sentenced to eight months for simulating a crime. Yeah. But in 2022, a journalist uh, published a series, uh, published a book, and in that, uh, a series of elements, including documentation, which demonstrated how, after the kidnapping, um, Emanuela was actually kept for decades inside um, the same student hostel in London um, that was mentioned in the in the report where she would die many years later and how her body would then have been transferred back to Italy to be uh, buried in the Teutonic Cemetery in Vatican City and then cremated. Wait. Dun, dun, dun. I'm, I'm so confused right now. Wait, who is yeah. this guy? Who is this dude saying this? This is a journalist, Maria Giovanna Malie. And does she have evidence that she's... St- that- so Emanuela she was in this hostel this whole time. So she had accompanying documentation. And I mean, who knows where she got it or like how accurate or sort of real it is. It just, the way it doesn't make sense is that all these th- people coming with these things with, oh, this happened. Like, but why? Yeah. Why was she just in this hostel in London the whole time? Like, if people want to do something, like, sense. if they don't want her dad to say something because he knows something about the bank, they could have just murdered him. He could still <laughs> say stuff with his daughter being, like, missing if he eventually just, you know, like, mm. after so many years. Like, it doesn't seem like a safe way to keep someone quiet. Well. Well. <laughs> I hope we find out the truth. This is so mind-boggling. Right. Well, I'm gonna it's tell not you over if we yet. do find out. Wait, what? <laughs> what? This is it's an in between, Julia. <laughs> I know, but the thing is, there's just so much. Okay, okay, let's. And it's all keep it like it all then. has some sort of like possibility, like and like basis in truth. Yeah. But also not really. So mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but it's just gonna be a long in between. Okay, no, I'm don't, I mean, you're the one editing, so I feel sorry for you. <laughs> but, yes, okay, I'm, I'm intrigued. What else is there? Okay, so there was this book in 2022. And yeah. in April of this year, Pietro mm-hmm. Orlandi revealed that he had come into a possession um, of a letter that was dated 1993, written by the then Archbishop of Canterbury, George Carey, that was mm-hmm. addressed to Cardinal Ugo Poletti, which was the one that was, I think, mentioned earlier in connection to De Peris. Okay, I think that wait, was Poletti. Pierre is Emmanuel's brother. Pietro, yeah. Pietro. He got this letter from a British-English archbishop. He, he got this letter that was written by Be- the Archbishop between... of Canterbury. Yes, between the Canterbury Archbishop and the Vatican. Cardinal. 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 A cardinal, who, yeah. Who um, got that crypt, hooked, hooked the crypt up with the mafia. Yeah, let me just check. Yeah, Cardinal Poletti, it's the same dude. Okay. 
this guy again, Poletti. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, in the letter, the Archbishop mentions Emanuela, saying that it would be better for him and Poletti to meet personally to talk about the issue. What was interesting is that the address to which the letter would have been sent is the same address that was mentioned in the report and the same street where the like hospital mentioned in the 2017 document where she would the, have lived the hostel okay yeah so there's that connection with like the same address and everything but the archbishop of canterbury george carey however disputed the authenticity of the severed this letter and declared it a forgery mm. of course yeah this address though do we know what this address is do we know the, which hostel they keep talking about yeah so i left out the names but i do have them the student hostel of the scalabrini uh, and fathers at 176 clapham road in london mm-hmm it was mistakenly written in the document as Chapman Road, but mm-hmm. it's 176 Clapham Road. Mm-hmm. And it's the Scalabrian, like, hostel of the Scalabrian fathers. Okay. Well, Simon so goes the to address London was also frequently, the... so I can <laughs> go scout out the place. Yeah, so the letter... What kind of place? That the letter was sent to was 170 Clapham Road in London. Yeah. And so that was like six numbers down. Right. From the hostel. Right. Right. I mean. <laughs> yeah. So what this letter suggests is that this um, Vatican Cardinal had something to do with it and is keeping mm-hmm. Emanuela in London for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing that would make sense is that he keeps her somehow, like, I don't know, like a pet. But, like, I don't know, sends her off to London to just live there? And what, for what reason? Does he go <laughs> visit her once in a while? It's Is it so a pedophile confusing. thing? Is it she saw something that she's not supposed to know, but then yeah, why do they keep her alive? Exactly. Is it to sort of have uh, something to hold over the father's head? Like, yeah. none and of mean, it makes If it's a pedophile thing, she's too old now for, for that. I don't think the yeah, MO of the pedophiles too. is to keep one person for life. Yeah. Yeah. Just to kind of ease your mind. Yes, please. We're at the end here. So the only thing I want to mention at this point is that, like I said, this year, um, Mm -hmm. the investigation was reopened after 40 years of Emanuela's disappearance at Mm -hmm. the behest of Pope Francis. Mm -hmm. And the opening investigation um, renewed requests to hear information from people who are still alive who could provide an important contribution to the investigations mm-hmm. including the i mean if you remember including the music school friend who was with emanuela on the afternoon of the kidnapping yeah so at the end of march this year the mm-hmm. parliament italian parliament began um the process um of the establishment of a commission of inquiry into the disappearance of Emanuela and Mirella. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and this was approved in the Chamber of Deputies and then also approved in the Senate uh, in June this year. Okay, well, I mean, there's so much more technology now, right? So hopefully, yeah, and people who might have had power back then to keep it hidden might have died at this point or don't have power anymore. So hopefully they find some answers. Yeah. And so on June 25th, uh, during the Angelus, Pope Francis um, mentioned actually that it was the 40th anniversary of Emanuela. Uh And it was the first time since like, her disappearance that a pontiff had publicly mentioned her and mm-hmm. this obviously was very welcomed by her family yeah and interestingly enough on the night between the 5th and 6th of july this year pietro mm-hmm. orlandi's car like had his like the tires slashed uh-huh uh-huh wait what about Morella though so they're going, I think they're going off of the um, idea that they're not actually related, related. but they're okay. also, I mean, she was, she did disappear like 40 days before her. So I'm guessing that that's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like she's kind of overshadowed by Emanuela and people are, I mean, it's important to find out what happened to both of them, of course. Yeah, I think mm. it's just that there's more, um, I think more it's because Pietro, there's a bit more information to go on, mm. but also just that Pietro Orlandi is so, like, involved and, like, pushing for more information. Yeah. It doesn't seem like that's happening as much for Mirella. Mm-hmm. I mean, her um, parents must be so much older. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's m- might be a factor. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing like her parents are still alive at this point, right? Yeah. I guess if she was, I mean, they could be like in their 80s or something. Yeah. Well, so there's a b- bit of a back and forth where like um, mm. Vatican investigators are saying that, oh, maybe like Emanuela's uncle was involved blah 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 and then like a response by the Orlani family saying that oh they're trying to exclude a connection between like um sort of with the Vatican and everything and yeah it's just there's still a lot we could get into but I think we've covered the important things and Mm -hmm. I think most importantly it's heartening to know that the investigation has been reopened and that Mm. something might come up yeah i really wish they find out what happened yeah seriously (sighs) and on that note i still haven't watched the netflix docuseries and i think now that i'm done with this i Mm -hmm. can or should because Mm -hmm. i specifically did not watch it to not sort of take all my wording from the documentary or like too much because I mean they are all biased in some way right yeah 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 I mean that would be interesting I'd like to watch it as well see kind of 
I guess have a visual for all the things you talked about mm-hmm. as well. Mm. Yeah. That <laughs> is the conclusion of my two-parter on Emanuela Orlandi. Um, thank you for preparing <laughs> everything. I can see You're your brain welcome. is completely fried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not like it's not fried enough by other things, but then I had to yeah. pick this case. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You really did choose a really just convoluted one. I mean, apparently I like to pick those because if you remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You like to pick ones where there's some kind of political element. Yeah, I think it's just so fascinating. Yeah. Well I don't know. I like conspiracies. It's it's interesting. No, definitely, definitely. Yeah, hopefully, I said so many times already, but we find out what happened because otherwise Mm -hmm. we're just going to keep theorizing and have no answer. Well, I am glad that we can kind of put a a period on uh, this chapter for us, at least at this point. Um, I mean, obviously, if anything comes up, then Mm -hmm. we will be right there reporting on it. (laughs) <laughs> yes, right on the grounds, reporting on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, we'll definitely talk about it if there's some kind of breakthrough. Yeah, so I guess I should put on Google alerts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there you have it. Thank you, Julia. You're and welcome. Yeah, just a little little teaser i guess for next episode then oh yes please it definitely has an answer so it's not (gasps) a mystery (laughs) that is very very good to hear i think after so many unanswered questions today yeah no i think we need some certainty and it Mm -hmm. happens on the other side of the world okay so we're in asia yes and there's some there's also a kind of paranormal element to it. Oh, okay. Yes, so... Well, can I just ask, is mm-hmm. it recent or is it older? No, it's older. I mean, it's not old, okay. old, but it's not recent. Okay. Interesting. Well, yes. I look forward to it. We hope that you tune back in next Monday or whenever this comes out or whenever the next episode comes out. <laughs> Generally, we hope you come back. <laughs> yes. Um, is this something you say? Like, whatever. We hope you come back. <laughs> I was because you know when you, when somebody comes in the store, you say welcome, right? Like irashaimase or whatever. Oh, I mean in Japanese so, there is something mm, you can say. Well, we look forward to your next visit. Yes, let's let's leave it at that. We look forward to your next listen. Yes. Uh bye. Take care. Bye Good bye. Night. Good night bye. to you. Good rest of the day to me and whoever yes. is out there, whatever time it is for you. Have a good yes. one. All yes. right. Bye. bye.